You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Um, all right, Romans chapter number 9, and I want to begin reading in verse number 4. Uh, Romans 9 and verse number 4, there's a lot of teaching in this preaching this morning. Um, uh, I like to find application in our teaching, and we will find some application here. Uh, but let's begin in uh, verse number 4 here. Romans 9, verse 4, Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises? Whose are the fathers, and of whom are uh, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, then parentheses here, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, can you see now why you don't hear these verses as much? They don't just roll off the tongue, do they? <laughs> you don't just read these and be like, oh, wow, man, I get that. That's great. Uh, it takes a little bit of thinking and it takes a little bit of study. Uh, but notice what the Bible says here in verse number 13. Some of you will, uh, well, I'll just read it. Verse 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That's the Lord speaking there. Uh, and so what happens in this passage, the reason it's so challenging is because, man, you read and we're going to read on. And as you read, uh, if you study and read your Bible, you will come to places in the Bible to where you say, wait, what? From time to time, you'll come to places where you say, wait, what? What did that just say? What is being indicated? What is being taught here? Uh, if you read your Bible, that will happen. And the reason it will happen is because, uh, well, there's places like this. But there's one thing that you've got to always remember uh, when you traverse into a passage that appears inconsistent or contradictory to the greater context of biblical teaching or to the person and nature of God Himself, uh, it is uh, possible and it's important uh, to have an understanding of what that passage sometimes isn't teaching. So in other words, um, I'm getting ahead of myself here, so I won't get into specifics until we get into the specifics. But when you come to a passage where you think, wait a second, I've been studying the Bible, and as I've studied the Bible, I don't remember uh, hearing about God just randomly hating people in the way that, and here's the thing, in the way that we understand hate. So there are times that you can come to a difficult passage. Romans 9 is one of those passages. And it is possible to sometimes not understand what is being said. But sometimes it's possible just to say, I'm not exactly sure what's being taught. And I'm not exactly sure what this is saying. But I know when I think about the greater context of the Bible, this cannot be saying what it sounds like it's saying. Because God is never inconsistent. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as well as His teaching. So sometimes you can put together uh, what uh, God is not saying, but it's, it's, it's even more powerful when you study and you begin to find out uh, what the Bible is teaching. And that's what I'm excited about here in Romans chapter number 9, is that we can't understand what God is teaching. So let's continue on here. What, verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. I want to pause right there to give you the context and the background of all that's being said right here. Romans chapter, from chapter 1 through chapter 8, man, well, it starts off letting us know that the whole world is guilty before God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, the problem with mankind is sin. Uh, the, the, the problem with mankind, the heart of mankind's problem is a problem with the heart. And that problem is sin. But that's bad news. But the Bible says there's the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And the good news is, is that Jesus Christ made the way. He paid the price. When He went to Calvary, He carried all of our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. I mean, and then it tells us what Jesus did for us in an eternal aspect. But then it also goes on to say how that, how that matters to us today. And man, you study Romans chapter uh, from, from chapter 4 to chapter 8. I'm talking about you hit some high peaks. You hit some high marks. I mean, it is exciting. It is a blessing. And one of the great messages is this, is that it's a whosoever will gospel. Uh, that, 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 that the Gentiles have now entered into this covenant. The Gentiles have entered into a, a promise with God. And this is the part where the replacement theology comes in because if you, re, if you study the Bible, you find out that the Jews in the Old Testament were God's chosen people. He chose them as a nation. Um, and since they failed in their, in their end of the covenant, see, there's covenants and there's promises in the Bible. There's conditional promises and covenants and there's unconditional promises and covenants there's a couple of the covenants with the jewish people that are unconditional god promised abraham i will make of your seed a mighty nation i will i will scatter them when they disobey but i will regather them within our lifetime folks and we are seeing promises made in genesis fulfilled within our days Amen. God's Word is, reads ahead of tomorrow's headlines. God's Word does read ahead of tomorrow's uh, headlines. And so God promised that what's happening today with Israel is happening today with Israel. Uh, but He also said so there's, there's these unconditional problems. He said, I will set up a king. The, the Davidic covenant. There's the Palestinian covenant that He made with Abraham. I'll give you the land. There's the Davidic covenant which says you will have a king. The Lord Jesus Christ will return and will rule on this earth. In the same passage that it says unto us a child is born, it says unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon His shoulders. And He shall be called King of kings and Lord of lords. So just as God promised that He would come and be born as a baby in the manger, He says He will also as a king sit upon the throne of this earth. That's exciting. You say, when's that going to take place? 
later. Amen? Uh, at least seven years from today. Uh, and, and I'm not saying seven years from today. I didn't say that. The reason I said that is because that the, that the Bible teaches that, that any moment that the church, those who believe on Christ and have put their faith and trust in Him, could be raptured out. And the Bible promises, going back to the book of Daniel, that there's literally a seven-year period. I wish I could just get up here and spend some time and tell you how accurate the Bible is and how specific the Bible is on a lot of these things. But there's a seven-year period that deals with Israel uh, the, the 70th week uh, that, that was promised to Daniel that is yet to come. But that day is coming. And that's why I say seven years. Because we do not know when the rapture is going to take place. We do not know when the Lord is calling those that believe Him to, up to be with Himself. When He says, if I go away, I will come again. And the Bible says He will return. And we, he, he will say uh, He will call us up to heaven. We'll be raptured out and so forth. Uh, we, do, we do not know when that day is. And anybody that tries to tell you when that day is, you probably just need to quit listening to that person. I did not say it was going to be seven years from today. Amen. My point was this, that, that, that Jesus could come in that capacity any moment. He could come today. And that there's going to be a period of seven years that are left to be fulfilled that's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It will be a time of judgment on this earth, and, but it will also be a time to get Israel to turn back to Christ as a nation. Uh, and that's going to take place. And at the end of that seven years, we, we, there's Armageddon. Jesus comes to set up His kingdom. And so forth. Uh, those are promises that are without, uh, without uh, no, no strings attached. There's no, God said this is going to happen, therefore it's going to happen. But God said with some of the other promises I've made you, He said, I'll bless you. He said, if you choose to do right, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you in the land. I mean, I'm going to prosper you. That's what He says to the nation of Israel. He says, just keep me first. Just love me. Just honor me. That's what God wanted, but they refused to do so. As a nation, they worshipped idols. They turned from God. They disobeyed God. So therefore, as a result, they were sent into captivity and all the things that have, befell, uh, have befallen them uh, over the last centuries and even uh, millennia uh, that have uh, made a difference in the lives of Israel. But the point is this. So temporarily, since the Jews, when Jesus came to this earth, you still following me? I said it was going to be a lot of teaching and my preaching, so just bear with me. But that when Jesus came, Jesus came and the Jews were ready for their king. But Jesus, uh, He did not come the first time to set up His kingdom initially. He had to first die on the cross. But they were not ready for this humble servant. They were not ready for this one that would die on the cross. That's not the Messiah that they were looking for. And by the way, Christ means Messiah. The promised one, the anointed one, the one that was promised from the very beginning, from Genesis 3.15, that He would come. And so they were looking for Him to set up His kingdom. But you know what the nation of Israel did? They rejected Christ as their King while He was on this earth. They rejected Him as a nation. And when they rejected Him as a nation, the, all the promises, the future promises of Israel still stand. But they've been set aside temporarily and God introduced what's called the, well the time of the Gentiles refers to Gentile rule, but He's introduced what's called the church age. Uh, under the new covenant. Now, Jews and Gentiles alike are a part of the new covenant purchased with Jesus' blood. 
uh, as far as Jewish people, and we're gonna, that's one of the distinctions you've got to get to in Romans chapter number 9. Jewish people, there's Jews that are a part of the church of God. Uh, and so over the last 2,000 years, God has been dealing with the church. He's been calling forth Gentiles and Jews alike that have been trying to reach the world. By the way, Israel was supposed to reach the world. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, but they got prideful. And so God chose the church now to be a light and to minister to all the world and bring the gospel to those who need Christ. And so those are, that's what's happening. But now we're getting to a time to where God is about to start. Uh, for, for beginning in 1948, we begin to see it happen that the attention is turning more and more away from the church and seems to be focused more and more on the nation of Israel in this day, as well as some of the other Middle Eastern countries that the Bible talks about, like Iraq and Iran, uh, as far as Babylon and Persia is what they're known of, of in the Bible. Uh, but the point is this. God temporarily set aside the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. He introduced the church age to where this spiritual heavenly people uh, were living upon the earth. But there's some people that believe that God is totally done with Israel. That's repla Replacement theology just teaches that when Israel failed in terms of their acceptance of Jesus as Messiah, God said, okay, done with you. But you know what, Gentiles? I'm going to give you all the promises. Uh, that, that which I promised to Abraham, the Palestinian covenant, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Davidic covenant, that all now uh, applies to you. And, and, and God's done with Israel as a nation. And that's basically what replacement theology is. Um, it, uh, it's, 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 it's huge. Uh, and basically, uh, it's pretty rare if there's any Protestant that doesn't believe in replacement theology. It started with Catholicism. It went into, it affects end times. We're not Protestant, by the way. We, we, we did not come out of the Catholic Church. Therefore, we're not a Protestant church. Uh, we are, we're a long line of Bible-believing churches that have been around since uh, the days of the apostles. And you can, you can study that historically as well. So we're not Protestants. Um, but Protestants, since they come out of the Catholic Church, a lot of times they follow along with this replacement theology, uh, which is why a lot of times you don't hear a lot of talking about the coming of the Lord. You don't hear teaching and preaching about Revelation. Uh, and matter of fact, you may be encouraged to stay away from it. I, I have literally heard people, they have gone to their priest and they've asked them about, I want to study the book of Revelation. I've got questions about it. Stay away from that. That'll mess up your mind. If you've got a spiritual leader warning that the Bible will mess up your mind, you probably got the wrong spiritual leader. Amen? Uh, but, uh, but, but regardless, uh, the fact of the matter is, that's one of the reasons. But you also see it in charismatic circles today. Uh, the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. A lot of the things they believe, you know, that if you believe God, if you serve God, He's going to bless you with health and, and finances. And if you just have faith, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be great. Well, listen, they, they, they base a lot of that on promises that were made to the Jewish people. The Jewish people are primarily, they're, they're an earthly people with earthly promises. The church, on the other hand, is a spiritual people with spiritual promises. What did Jesus promise us in terms of, in, in terms of health and prosperity? He said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. Now, we may have. We're Americans. We live in a time we may know a lot. We may know some about health and, and wealth and prosperity that we've experienced. Thank the Lord for it. Amen. God's uh, allowed us to experience that. There's no reason to be guilty about it. Amen. Uh, but when you look around the world, these, these, these uh, heretical and these ridiculous health and wealth and prosperity people that say if you have enough faith, you're going to be healthy and wealthy and everything's going to work out good for you. Uh, you just think about what they're insinuating 
insinuating there. What about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East? What about our Arab brothers and sisters that have trusted Christ as Savior that are being slaughtered, that don't have homes, that, uh, that, 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 that their children are being raped and murdered in front of them and, and so forth? Do they not have faith? Do you see, the, do you see how uh, terrible it is for these people to preach these false doctrines? Listen, as Christians, we are not promised... Uh, our promises are, by and large, uh, spiritual and heavenly promises. Man, I need to get back to my notes. Amen. All right. Listen, the problem with Israel is what we've been preaching about with, uh, out of Romans chapter number 9. I'm saying all that to say this. Romans 8, man, God's promised us. We're blessed. we got eternal promises. It's all great. But there's Jewish people that are sitting there saying, wait, what about us? Did God forget about His promises to us? And, and Romans 9 is the way of God saying, I have for not forgotten about my promises to you. That's what it's answering. And so uh, the problem with Israel is that they were missing mercy. And here's what I mean by that. They missed or they forgot that they are God's chosen people because of mercy, not because of merit. They were missing mercy. They thought, we're special. They, they acted almost as if uh, the Lord just looked down at this nation and thought, wow, I would like to identify with them. That's kind of their attitude. And they're, they're having to be reminded here, wait a second, uh, you were only chosen by God's mercy. By the way, you know the lesson there for us? We're chosen by God's mercy and by God's grace. I mean, listen, uh, in and of ourselves, uh, there's not much to speak of. But who we are in Christ is amazing, yes. Uh, but it's not, God did not say, God did not just look down at me one day and say, wow. He's going to be a real benefit. I don't know what I would do without Him. No, because when He saw me, He just saw all that we have to offer Him as sin, folks. That's it. And if you felt a little bit of kickback on that in your heart, some people have another kind of sin, and that's self-righteousness. Amen? Because if we're not willing to admit before God, I'm a sinner and that's what I have to offer, nothing in my hands I bring. I love that song, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling. What do you bring in your hands when you come to God for salvation? If a, 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 a Christian in the Bible sense does not come to God and say, Okay, Lord, I will come to You. And under this arm, they're toting their baptism. And you know, under this other arm, they've got their, uh, you know, their, their church membership and, and my tradition and, and you know, Granny's prayer and whatever else. And Jesus, I'll, I'll take You as well. I'll take you as well. But I've got my baptism, so-called. You have to be really small to get baptized with this amount, amen. I've got my baptism. I've got my church membership. I've got, I've got this and that. Okay, and yet, Jesus, I'll take you as well. No one has ever come to Christ that way. I mean, I'm talking about and being saved. You, you don't get saved that way. You come to Christ by saying, Lord, I have nothing to offer you except my sin. And how many of you thank God for the day that you realized that even your self-righteousness was sin? Amen. When you begin to realize that your pride and your arrogance because of your stinking religion or tradition, and I'm sorry, but I hope that you've realized that that's what it is, has made you righteous. No, only Christ and His blood can make you righteous. Amen? It's not about religion. I'm not up here trying to preach religion. I'm not up here, I'm not up here pushing this church or this religion or any other religion. I'm pushing Christ this morning. Amen? His righteousness. What He has done. And so, uh, there, there are some of these things that were missed. They missed mercy. They forgot that they were chosen by mercy and not by merit. 
And therefore, they missed showing mercy to the Gentiles. Showing mercy to a lost and a dying world. And folks, that's another practical lesson that we can learn in this. But I'll try to give you these verses here uh, and share them with you as, uh, uh, as, as time permits this morning. Uh, first of all, when we think about God's uh, past dealings with Israel, that's what He begins to look at. His past dealings with Israel were based on, number one, His superlative wisdom. His superlative wisdom. That is to say this, that God... Uh, His wisdom is beyond description. His wisdom is vast. His wisdom is an all-knowing wisdom. His superlative wisdom. The rejection by God of the nation of Israel, understand this, does not mean that God's promises have failed. Because that's what they were wondering. That's what they were questioning. Since Israel failed, does that mean that God failed? No, Israel failed, but God is still upholding His end of the agreement uh, because that's what God does. But so just because He failed does not mean that He failed because in the wisdom of God, the rejected Jews aren't included in the promises anyway. God, one thing you can mark down about our God, He is not capricious. I like learning new words, amen? Uh, Capricious. Capricious just means given to sudden and unaccountable changes of mood or behavior. My daughter would often say, why don't you just say that? Amen. Instead of capricious. All right. But anyway, uh, capricious. He's not given to sudden change and unaccountable changes of mood or behavior. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, we deal very extensively within Bible preaching churches, within this church included, we deal very extensively with God's gracious dealings to man. Uh, In other words, we preach a lot about that. Why? Because the world needs to know about God's gracious dealings to man. That God said, whosoever will may come and that Jesus shed His blood. And as a result of the limited time that we have to preach and teach to an audience, we spend a lot of time talking about God's gracious dealings toward mankind. But as Kurt alluded to this morning, sometimes as a result of that, we forsake some other teaching. In other words, we're reminded that the Bible, as I said earlier, is a prophetic book. By the way, you want to know something that makes the Bible different from any other quote-unquote sacred book? It dares to prophesy. Folks, this book is a book of prophecy from the very beginning to the very end. It's bold and it says, this is what will happen. You know why this Bible can do that? Because this Bible is inspired by God Almighty. Amen? And so God can say this will happen and guess what's going to happen? It's going to happen the way God said it will happen. Why why don't these other quote-unquote sacred writings have uh, prophecy in them? Because they're frauds. Plain and simple. Alright, and so, uh, but, but as we think about the prophetic nature of the Bible, it's a book that deals with the future of Israel, but it deals with the future of the world's nations. So if we're to understand the Bible from this aspect, it's important that we understand the governmental dealings of God as well. There is a distinction. See, since we almost always approach the Bible from a, uh, a personal grace, the, the grace of God dealing, and from a salvation standpoint, sometimes we can fail to study the Bible and keep in mind the governmental dealings of God. And when you come into the book of Romans, that becomes a, pro- a problem. Romans chapter 9 specifically. God's gracious dealings with man, listen to this, have always been the same. 
God's gracious dealings with man have always been the same. It's always been by grace through faith. It's always been on an individual basis. I'm not going to say much on this because I keep getting away from my notes, but I just got to tell you something here. Uh, Do not believe that the God of the Old Testament is any different than the God of 2019 because He's not. He said, but yeah, but he does a lot of mean things back then. Well, no, you've got to study. You need to study in the context. What happens? It, it is always God's will for man to repent. Go through the Bible and find out what happens. Man, God so mean. He, he pronounced judgment on this people. Why? Because they were rebellious. They refused to s- submit. They refused to do right. They, they refused to quit murdering and raping and pillaging and, and, and persecuting those around them. But what happened when God would send a message like He did to Nineveh? And God sent a message to Nineveh saying, you're destroyed. It's within a matter of hours this city will suffer the judgment of God. Oh, what a mean God. No, wait a minute. It's the same God as today. Why? Because when those people heard that message and said, Lord, please no. God, I want to get right with You. I want, I want, I want You to forgive me. You guess what God did? Hallelujah. I don't know if he praised himself or not, amen. But I want you to know something. God was happy. God rejoiced. Why? Because he was going to get to forgive this people. He was going to get, these people were going to be able to experience his grace. That's what God wants people to experience. But if, they, if you choose sin, if you choose rebellion, it's, you know, it, it's almost just like going down in a snake pit and being mad that God let you get bit by a snake. Yeah. What kind of God would let me get bit by a snake? Well, you idiots, you went down into a snake pit. What do you expect? And it's the same principle when we choose sin and we choose rebellion. I don't understand why these things are, you know, why is the world like it is today? This isn't the world that God meant it to be today. You're looking at a world where people, uh, by vast majorities, have just decided to walk into snake pits. We're all infected by the venom and, and consequences of sin. Then we look up and shake our fist at God and say, how dare you? We, we, we're living in a place where God has allowed, God allowed men from the very beginning to have choice. Hey Amen. I'm getting back to my notes here, alright? But I'm telling you, it's important to understand the distinction of His governmental and His gracious dealings with mankind. Government versus individual. In other words, God in this passage is establishing a, na- a nation. That's why if you get back to the passage here, the Bible says here... Um, How that God, uh, verse number 6, not as though the Word of God uh, hath taken none effect. In other words, God's promises do not fail. He did not promise, this is important through this passage. Let me read this again. Um, Verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh are not the children of God's or of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise that at the time appointed I will have a son. So again, these word the wording there can be a little confusing, but what it's just simply saying this is that God uh, God's promises was to the nation of Israel. He dealt with the nation, but now as a nation they have now rejected him. So since as a nation they've rejected him, that does not mean that individuals can't come to Christ. 
So these verses that we, we dealt with those last week, people that will believe on Christ individually can be saved. We are now headed into a section that speaks of God's governmental dealings with the nation. It's important to mark the difference. Failure to do so, to rightly divide the word of truth, is the basis for much misunderstanding and much misinformation which has led to downright false doctrine that we battle today. So now, let's get into these verses beginning in verse 7. Uh, well, we've already read that. Let me get down to verse number 10 again. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, um, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God might be according to election, the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And so, we'll stop right there and just deal with these verses just a little bit with God's help. So, he starts off by talking about Sarah. Sarah had a son by the name of Ishmael, was her firstborn son. Uh, he was a son that shows a lesson. So, there was Isaac that was born second, Ishmael was born first. Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah quit believing God. They doubted God, and therefore Sarah had the idea and said, Abraham, before you get too old, as if, you know, 86 or whatever it was wasn't old enough, uh, before you get too old, I'm still not conceiving a child. That God, like, God said you were going to have a son. Maybe you should go into my handmaid. Maybe you should go into my servant and, have a, and, and ha try to have a child with her as, instead. Pretty terrible idea. But that's what they did. And so, but that pictures doubt. It pictures the flesh. And so, Isaac, on the other hand, he pictures faith. Uh, Ishmael pictures doubt. Ish Isaac pictures uh, faith. Isaac's birth parallels the Christian spiritual birth and that in that it had to do with believing. It was necessary for Abraham to believe the promise God made concerning a son in order for Isaac to be born. As to the Christian spiritual birth, it is necessary to believe that Jesus Christ is the one Savior in order to become a child of God. Now, the two examples that God gives us from early patriarch history is one, Ishmael and Isaac, and another is Jacob and Esau. Please bear with me. I'm just trying to preach through the Bible, amen, and I'm trying to do my best. Isaac and Ishmael, the sons of Abraham. And then the sons of, uh, of, of Isaac uh, among those was... Um, oh, wait, where am I going here? Oh, no, we're talking about Isaac. Okay, so Isaac uh, as well. And so we'll, we'll see kind of the difference and contrast the lesson that we can learn here. These two patriarch examples, Isaac and Esau. Okay, so one of the lessons in here is this. Just being a part of the family, when he's saying they're not all of the family that are of the family, that are not all of the flesh, that are of the nation, what he's just simply saying there is this. Just because you were born into this family does not mean that you automatically have spiritual privilege. Ishmael and Isaac were born into the same family, but one was chosen, the other was rejected. The same is true with Esau and Jacob. One was chosen, one was elected, the other was rejected. Now remember, what are we talking about here? We're talking about God's governmental dealings. We're talking about God establishing nations. We are not talking about personal salvation. 
God's election here is electing for a nation. But uh, notice here to get down to the verse that uh, one of the verses, obviously, that brings us a little bit of trouble. Verse 13 again. The Bible says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Jacob have I, has, have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The word hate or hated, as it appears here, should not be thought of in the same sense of our word hate. How many of you were taught not to hate? Amen? Uh, I was taught not to hate. But did you know that in the biblical sense, we hate all the time? We're a bunch of haters. We hate all the time. We hate in the biblical sense. Esau have I loved. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. See, um, love and hate are contrasting terms. The Greek word is mischio. Now, there's times that that Bible, that word is, is translated persecute. There's other times, and like in this, and you can tell by the context, it means basically to prefer. Technically, to love less. But if I spoke in biblical vernacular, here's what I would say today. Papa John's have I loved. Little Caesar's have I hated. But guess what happens if you bring... And I know, I know I've already preached long and I don't feel like I've gotten anywhere trying to get this across. But if you brought me Little Caesar's here guess, today, guess what I would say? I'd bite into it and say, man, I love this. Wait a second, preacher. You just said you hated it. And if I spoke in biblical terms, you would understand what I was saying. I was understanding if I had a choice between the two, I would prefer Papa John's. I mean, listen. A grilled out burger at home that I made that wasn't a pre-frozen patty. Don't get me started on that. Beef that you, you know. Uh, man, that have I loved. Culver's have I hated. Are you saying you hate Culver's? Yes, I do in the biblical sense. What, what's that mean? It just means if I've got a choice between the two, I'm picking. So to say Esau have, Jacob have I loved Esau as, have I hated, he's not saying I, just, I persecute that guy. I detest that guy. No, he's just simply saying I have chosen. I've simply chosen him to be the one through, through whom this uh, nation is going to be carried out. God does not hate in the sense that we were taught. We were taught right when we were taught not to hate in that sense. But we hate in the biblical sense all the time. We prefer things one above the other. And so, uh, so, so that's, that's a little bit about hate. Um, God's wisdom in choosing Isaac and Jacob. Uh, man, I've got to try to find a place to land this plane here quick. All right. Uh, God's wisdom chose Isaac and Jacob. Interestingly, both the parents wanted Esau and wanted Ishmael to be chosen. Go back and study it. Interestingly, the parents argued for that. God dealt with them on governmental lines according to, to, to His wisdom and with His sovereignty. This passage in Romans teaches us a lot about the sovereignty of God. It teaches us about election. But understand, the context is governmental. See, God knew... One of the ways that we know that God is not talking about individuals in this passage when He's talking about hating and loving, when He's talking about having, I'll choose on whom I have compassion and mercy. The Bible says in Hebrews, uh, I'm just kind of trying to give you, give you this quickly. In Hebrews, uh, the Bible says uh, how that, uh, that, 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 uh, that Esau found no place for repentance even though he sought it carefully with tears. 
You're like, oh man, God wouldn't let him repent. God wouldn't save him. Not the context. God would not restore his birthright. It's talking governmental. It's not talking about salvation. And here's one of the good proofs of that. It's the point that God's trying to make in this passage. Not all that claim to be Israel are Israel. Just because you're of Jewish descent does not mean you naturally are saved. So not all who are born into the family, and so that also means something else. God did not reject all of Esau and his descendants. Or all of Ishmael and his descendants. In fact, many of them even in that day came to Christ or came to God. It came to faith in God by grace through faith. The Jews were commanded to be a light to the people of Ishmael than to uh, the people of Esau and to show what it really meant to serve and to know God. We are commanded furthermore in the Great Commission to reach the descendants of Esau and and the descendants of the Ishmaelites which are uh, uh, primarily Arabs. We're commanded in the Great Commission to reach them. So God is not saying, I've just chosen these people, I've rejected these people. No, He's saying in a national, in a governmental sense He has, but not in the greater sense of as individuals. Uh, God's wisdom, God's sovereign will. The thing He's trying to teach in this passage is that God can do as He pleases in this regard because God is righteous, therefore God cannot make the wrong choice. God cannot make the wrong choice when He chooses. So if there was a a way to try to wrap this up without going all the way through it, it would be this. That God, the first thing they missed out on was they failed to realize that the whole reason they were chosen to start with was totally based on the grace of God. Because they were chosen, both Isaac and... uh, uh, Who's the other? Isaac and Jacob were both chosen before they were even born. So it wasn't anything they did. If there's a practical lesson here today, I'd say this. Salvation does not come from anything that we do. That's why there is no room for us sticking out our chest when it comes to what it means to be saved. Because we know that it's all of Him. Amen? So it's mercy. It's not merit. It's grace. But we also learn this. In the governmental sense, we still have a responsibility to try to reach all people. God has chosen the nation of Israel uh, for His purpose and in His wisdom. Those promises will be restored to the nation of Israel. And though we may not understand everything and all the decision making of God, we can know that God is right in His decision making. And then I guess it will come back down to this as well. The same place that we tried to emphasize last time we preached out of Romans chapter 9 is where I'll try to end up today, and that's this. Not only is the false doctrine of replacement theology taught or misapplied, taken out of context, and people try to use uh, the the Bible and they forget about Romans 9 because Romans 9 destroys this popular and growing popular theory of uh, replacement theology. But I want to say this as well. There's others that read these verses where it says, oh, I've elected this one. I elected Isaac and, and I rejected Esau or, or, you know, I, or Ishmael. And then I, I elected Jacob. And they say, see, God, is choosing this one to be saved and this one to be lost. False doctrine. Why? I wasn't able to... I, I didn't do as... Sometimes I get it, man. I'm in my study. I'm excited. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is just opening up to me. And then I just feel like... I basically get up here and just say, duh, to you. 
That's, what it, that's the way it feels like everything came out this morning. But I'm telling you, what you can find the truth of these passages is, when it comes to the governmental sense, yes, God did choose. No choice of theirs at all. God chose them. I'm bringing a nation through you. But the Bible never teaches that God makes that choice for people. People falsely use Romans chapter 9 to do that, but it's just, it's, 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 not, it's not founded. I mean, and I can see how the verses can be misconstrued, but folks, one of the things that you've got to make sure that you do, you do not, you don't get a preconceived notion and then go to the Bible to try to get it to prove what you believe. You go to the Bible and say, I'm going to read it for what it says, and if I think contrary to what the Bible's teaching, I'm going to change my thinking. Amen? So to speak. And so another lesson is this. God does not choose that this one's going to be lost, this one's going to be saved. In terms of election, that's not what it's about. In terms of predestination, not what predestination, not what the providence of God is about. It's not about God choosing because that teaching is inconsistent with the Word of God. And think about the implications of that as we all stand and as Miss Sonia comes this morning. Think about the implications of that. There's two sides of that coin. There's those that they take that teaching and of course if you follow it out to, the, to its furthest extent, it teaches, that, uh, it teaches that God chose some people to go to heaven, God chose some people to go to hell. Nowhere is that taught in God's Word. And, 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 the, and the proponents of this doctrine, they'll, they'll rejoice and they'll make a lot of, oh, God chose us, God chose us. But the thing they fail to emphasize is the fact that they're also teaching that God literally chose some people to go to hell without, some, no, without any choice whatsoever. That he, that he, before they were ever born, that babies, no choice whatsoever. But that's not so. That's not so whatsoever. By the way, what happens to a baby when they die? They go to be with the Lord, amen? You haven't lost them there in heaven. Amen? And I understand there's grief and all this. I'm not trying to minimize that, but I'm just telling you, you'll see them again if you're saved. Amen? Because they're with the Lord and you need to make sure that you're going to be with the Lord. God doesn't choose this little baby's going to heaven, this little baby's going to hell. God, the Bible says that God's willing that all come to repentance. The Bible says He's the propitiation because those that take that, that teaching to the furthest degree, they also teach that they also teach that, uh, that there was limited atonement, and it makes sense. They believe that since God only chose a certain amount of people to be saved, that's the only people that He died for. Why would Jesus die for people that He didn't choose to save anyway? But it's all false doctrine. It's all out of hell, and it all makes me mad. And you know what's worse? It's all real popular today. It's all real popular today. Uh, and so you've got to watch for it. It runs on different scales of, of how much they emphasize of it, but I'm telling you, it is still by grace through faith. I'm glad she's playing Amazing Grace this morning. Because here's what I'm going to try to bring it down to. I said all that to say this. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? I'll tell you what God's choice is for you. He made that choice when He went to the cross and died for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He made that choice. He paid for your sins. He died for you on the cross. He rose again the third day so that you could be saved. And you as an individual must choose whether or not you will accept or reject His salvation. Now let me tell you something. If you don't choose to accept Him today, you're choosing to reject Him today. If you're not choosing to accept Him, you're choosing to reject Him. 
If you die without Christ, you will end up in a literal fiery burning hell. I'm not telling you that to be try to be scary. I'm just telling you that to be honest. And you can't say, why in the world would God send me to hell? Really? You chose. He did everything except for impose His will on yours, which He will not do in terms of salvation. If you're not saved today, I pray that you'll come to Him for it's everlasting too late. Heavenly Father, I thank You again for Your grace and mercy. Lord, through these lips of clay, these, this stammering tongue of mine today, God, I pray that Your truth was able to take root in the hearts of Your people. And I pray that conviction is able to take root in the hearts of those that may be here today and not saved. Lord, I pray, dear God, that You would work on hearts, dear Lord. If there's anybody here today not saved, help them to humble themselves and come to You today. If there's any child of God that thinks they're better than somebody else, Lord, I pray that You help them to humble themselves and realize that it's all of grace.